welcome to Adventure with Scars. I'm your host, Lauren Huffmaster. I'm a seven-year metastatic breast cancer survivor. And I started this podcast so that we could begin as a community to understand what is a typical emotional response to cancer. I think this is a very basic question. What is it that we're all experiencing? And what is it that we haven't quite put into words yet? What can we learn from each other and from our own personal experiences of cancer? That is what we're talking about on this podcast. And today we're looking at a third part of our series. We've spoken about fear and we've spoken about identity. And today we're going to talk about isolation. Now, isolation seems like a very basic idea we've all experienced from time to time. I think we can definitely go back to COVID-19, the beginning moment in the, in the first seasons, and then as it stretched out, all the uncertainty about this isolation period in our life. COVID-19 was an amazing moment for us to begin to empathize with cancer patients and those impacted by cancer because our life suddenly stopped. There really was no heads up that tomorrow the world's going to stop. We, we might have been able to understand or have a few warning signs, but in my life, and I think in most people, there was just a moment when things shut down and we went home and we really didn't know what to expect. Two weeks. Okay, we can handle that. Well, two months, two years, it kept going on and we were in our homes. We were isolated. Now, this was a huge shift in everyone's identity. People couldn't go do their normal routines. You couldn't go to the gym if that was your routine or eat out at night at your favorite place or go to the movies or whatever your habits were before the shutdown. You were not able to access those anymore. So many aspects of your identity shifted when that occurred. The difference between cancer and COVID is that in cancer, you are shutting down. Your life gets shut down in a moment, in a word, while everyone else's goes on. So even though during COVID-19, we all as a society experienced isolation, there was at least an understanding that we were in community in our isolation. We were all doing the same thing. And so there was some solace there. In cancer, there is not an opportunity for you to feel connected with others while your life is shutting down. The isolation is yours. It's yours alone. And in many situations, my personal life might be shut down because of a diagnosis, but even my family's life has to ramp up to pick up the pieces that I can't handle anymore. And so even within my family, I'm experiencing something different than my household. So isolation is a huge piece of the experience of cancer. In the community, we talk often about how the people we need, we can't find. The people who have the same experience as us, the people who have the same diagnosis as us, we can't find them. They're very difficult to identify and find and have understand where you are. And the people you have don't understand. So the people you need, you can't find. And the people you have don't understand your circumstance. And this is the dichotomy of cancer. You're often isolated. The people in your life who love you and want to serve you can't understand what you're going through. It's very difficult for them to wrap their mind around what's going on in your mind and what's going on in your body. 
only through relationship with other survivors, other families impacted, can we really understand, feel that sense of camaraderie. But it's hard. For example, I have metastatic breast cancer, but I have my hair. I look healthy and well. And if you pass me in the street, you would never know that I am impacted by cancer. I go to church and there was a woman who was diagnosed at the same time as me, who went to the same cancer center as me. And we sat next to each other for weeks and weeks and weeks and never knew that we were both going through the exact same moment in life through our cancer process. It was only later when I spoke in front of the church that she came to me and told me her story. So many ways, many types of cancer are sort of a hidden diagnosis, a hidden issue that you're handling. And that increases your isolation. Another way that it increases your isolation is when you see billboards or it's October and everything is pink. And there's this idea and understanding of cancer, the disease, without acknowledgement of the individual, the person that's having to deal with this disease. This created a significant amount of isolation for me when everyone would seem to be talking about the disease, the color, the ribbons, these things, but no one acknowledged me as an individual. This is very disheartening, very difficult situation, circumstance for me to process when I was first diagnosed. So isolation shows up in many different ways through many different reasons. Our culture is not good with tragedy. We're not good with empathy. And so when something difficult happens in the life of someone else, it's it's hard to know how to respond. But the more we, as those impacted, those patients can speak about our experience, the less isolation there will be moving forward for those impacted by cancer. And that is definitely part of the reason we're having this discussion today. Another idea I think that isolates a patient is this idea of strength, of being strong. Now, strength in our culture, I just think about an Avengers movie or a superhero movie or or a spy movie. There's always that hero that goes at it alone. They're offered support. They're offered backups They're offered a sidekick, maybe. And they say, no, I'm strong enough. I'll handle this on my own. And usually they go off and do that. Now, that is how strength has been depicted, an individual taking care of their own mess and maybe a bunch of other people's mess too. They don't need help. They just knuckle down, bleed through it and go power on. I think this is a false depiction of strength. If you Google quotes about strength, you're going to find ancient wisdom passed down and none of it is about an individual. It's about community, people standing together in difficult times, people bonded in weakness. And I think that our modern culture is very individualistic. We're very um, tied to our ability to rise up on our own. But this kind of isolated strength is not true strength. We are stronger in community. We are built for relationship. Going back to COVID-19, you can see how isolated strength, even if we all got through COVID individually, we were better when we were together. We were better in relationship and in each other's lives. There was a gap. There was something missing when we were torn apart. And that shows us how strength comes, true, sustainable strength comes from relationship. Now, as a young mom, when I was diagnosed, 
I was used to taking care of everyone else. And I will tell you, almost every young mom diagnosed with cancer deals with this. Probably everyone, every adult diagnosed with cancer has to struggle with this. But your first response is, I got this. I, I, I've got this. I'm good. We don't need anything. We're good. We're okay. This is our response. It is a demonstration of strength. And maybe we're saying it so that we believe it ourselves that, yeah, if I can just say it enough times, I'll know that I can get through this. It'll be fine. But the truth is there are a lot of people around each of us. There's neighbors and friends and family, and they cannot take away our disease. They cannot help us escape from the the circumstances we're in. And so they want to love, but they do want to love us and they want to be at our side And the only way they can do that is if we allow them in. Now, this idea of isolated strength will say, nope, we're going to be okay. We can just work harder. We can make our own meals. We can drive our kids to school. That is how we're proving to the world we're going to handle this cancer. We're going to get through it. But that is not true strength. You will get tired. There will be times you wish you asked for help. Your husband will be glad if you ask someone else to bring dinner and he doesn't have to handle it himself. The more support you have around you, the less burden cancer will be during your diagnosis and treatment phase. Letting people in is a sign of true strength. I suggest that strength as we know it, as we see on TV and movies is really a lie that we've bought into. And we've bought it so many times, we've forgotten there is any other possibility out there. But the product of isolated strength is isolation. And this is not healthy. This is not good for our bodies. It's not good for our brains. It will not help us heal faster. Instead, what we need to embrace is a new perspective. We need to make perhaps what we think is weak the new strong. We need to redefine strength, kindness of others, of strangers, of friends, of family. To do one thing to help us is a way to strengthen us, to help us get farther along with less effort. This is true strength. And if we can identify in our heart, in our minds, in our perspective, that Receiving the kindness of others, receiving the acts of service of others, receiving the support of others is strength. We will be better as a society, as a cancer community, and as individuals. Receiving the kindness of others does not make us weak. Receiving the kindness of others instead enriches our lives and the lives of those around us. Kindness is the new strong. Kindness has always been what strength looks like. Community, relationship, these are the foundations of strength, of a strong community, of a strong family. And in cancer and the cancer treatments, this is exactly what we need. Kindness is often unexpected, but it is an intentional investment from others. If someone brings me flowers or mails me a gift card in the mail, I have this moment where like I sort of come alive. I'm I'm overwhelmed with, oh wow, somebody did this for me. Um once when I was when I was hiking, someone brought me out some food and I was I was moved to tears how a random stranger would be so kind to me. But 
those small acts add up and they create resilience inside of us that allow us to go along further because we have a hope. These are, these are actions that build seeds of hope inside of us that maybe in the next moment, if I get to a place where I just can't keep going, another small act of kindness will get me that much further. Do you see how these acts of receiving, being willing to receive acts of kindness is actually building strength as well, even if it's just an idea of strength? Now, when I talk about strength, I'm not talking about whether you can get up and run a mile. We're talking about emotional resilience. When others give kindness, they are becoming strong as well. They are empowered in their love, in their empathy, in their affection toward you. And that builds their strength as well. So by receiving, by being willing to receive kindness of others, we are also providing them resilience and strength. We are giving them the ability to see what it looks like to walk through a difficult situation, yet be cared for, yet make it through with strength. This is very important for us to see. Now, I'm a Huffmaster. My name is Lauren Huffmaster. And in my world, the word Huffmaster means giant, loud family. Giant, loud family, always. Stories, laughter, constantly. And when I was diagnosed with cancer, it was around the holidays and there was a giant, loud family around me the entire season I was processing. Now, just because I had people all around me, it does not mean I wasn't feeling isolated. Going back to that initial idea that the people I needed to help me understand what was happening, I couldn't find them. I didn't know where they were. And the people, this giant, loud family that was all around me, they really couldn't help me process because they didn't know any more than I did at the moment. But cancer started to change me change what I expected from myself and others, change what I saw for myself and others. And the isolation of cancer did not get limited to just my season of treatment. Isolation followed me for many years because as you process your cancer, your identity shifts. And there's a podcast, we talked about that a week ago, but as your identity shifts, you might find yourself in a season of isolation. And let's just talk about that for a minute because what happens is no one shifts instantly. No one finds their way on a new path just quickly and instantly and they know exactly what's happening and that's that's the way it is. Everything is a process. There is the instant moment of change, of trauma, of the diagnosis. There's a season of treatment And then after your treatment, there's a season where you have to begin to process what just happened. And that can be the most difficult season of the entire cancer experience. But during that next season, that season of reflection upon what just happened, what does cancer mean to me? What am I going to do now? There is an identity shift stirring in you. There's, There's major value shifting, perspective shifting, purpose shifting going on. And when that happens, it's a secondary season of isolation. Now, the reason this is, is because your new expectations that are emerging are not aligning with everyone else's expectations. As soon as you're done with treatment and maybe your hair is growing back or something, 
people expect that you're going to want to go back to your quote unquote normal life. You're going to jump in there. You're going to do carpool. You're going to go back to work. You're going to do whatever you did before treatment. They expect that of you because that's the person that they know. That is the version of you that they've experienced before. Most of us, though, after cancer treatments, want to do something a little different. Some of us, like me, want to do something very different with our lives. But it takes a lot of time to put those feelings, those desires, those values into words and actions where other people can see them. So in the season following cancer, I personally am wrestling with myself, trying to figure out who I want to be now that this has happened to me. Now that my life has shifted, what am I going to do? And then everyone else is saying, yay, you're back. Here's this, here's that. Why don't you take this? Why don't you handle that? And those two perspectives on the person that you're going to be come into conflict and you can often walk away feeling isolated, unseen, not known or understood. But the truth is you don't know yourself yet. All you know is something's different. And until you, the patient, can understand what it is that shifted in you, then put it into words, then begin to live it out in action, your family doesn't know that anything's happening inside of you. They just want to see you become your regular old normal self because that tells them that it's okay and everything's moving on. Everything's done. The trauma has ended. So their desires are really for your good. They want you to go back to your old self because they want to know that you're capable of going back to that old self. If you desire a change in your life and you want to become something different, your family will not reject you. Their heart is for your good. They want to see you emerge from this trauma whole and complete. But it is your responsibility as a patient, as a survivor, to communicate with your family who you are now. That is the only way they can begin to understand how to treat you moving forward, what to expect from you moving forward. For me, it's taken me years to truly identify what I want to accomplish in my post-diagnosis life. Now, this, these years are full of struggle. I have tons of urgency in life because every moment is so precious that I want to make them all meaningful. So I have tons of urgency in, in action, but I have not yet accomplished the clarity to make it clear to my family about what I'm trying to do. And so this can be very confusing for those who love me. And, and it was definitely a process that I had to go to and my family had to be very patient as I went through the process of redefining the person I would become. But because I went through this process, I took my time, I journaled, I wrote things down, I, I spent time by myself clarifying my thoughts. I was able to tell my family what I needed from them and where I wanted to go from here. And by doing that, they have been able to walk this path with me. Yes, I change my mind all the time. I will I will definitely say that. I'm always coming up with new ideas. I'm always chasing a new rainbow because every rainbow is so beautiful and important and we want to change the culture of cancer. But my family, 
understands my goal. They understand the values that I hold most dear today. They understand that I love them and I don't want to do anything that hurts them. But at the same time, I have to do something significant with my life. By helping them understand that they can walk alongside of me and I am not isolated in my journey. I'm not isolated in my healing process. To truly heal from trauma, we have to find a new purpose. We have to find a reason for it to help others. And that is what I've done with my life. I've I've turned my story into something that is helping others. And people don't have to start nonprofits or a podcast. They Sometimes it's just a matter of taking a meal to someone who's sick. It can be small kindness in your own neighborhood, <laughs> but you probably have a priority, a new priority to do something with your story, but you have to communicate that so others can help you walk that path. As you're thinking about your experience of isolation, as you're thinking about how your identity is shifting or might shift in the future, I'd like for you to take a moment and think of two old ways of thinking that you needed during the cancer experience, during treatments. What were thoughts and and plans that you needed to carry with you to make sure you got to your next treatment, no matter what the cost was going to be, and to make sure you came home and you rested even when there were so many things to be done? Think about things you told yourself that kept you safe. For example, in cancer, when you're in treatment, there are real live things that we need to be afraid of. We have to protect ourselves from. And when treatment ends, those real live threats to us are gone and we don't have to protect ourselves from the same thing that we did when we were in treatment. When we consider our mental health, we have to sort of analyze the same thought along the same thought process. Were there ways of thinking that you walked out during treatment that are no longer serving you well today. For me, there were, there were many, many ways of thinking that served me well during treatments that I do not need in my life on a day-to-day basis today. But the patterns, the thoughts, the way we processed during treatment will stay with us unless we intentionally identify them and replace them with something new for our new season of life. Just as our identity might shift after a trauma, our mental patterns and our mental habits must also shift if we want to become something new. It is important that we take the time to identify the reasons we're making certain choices, the reasons we say or think a certain way, and see if those are serving us well today and if they're going to serve the person we want to become. In my life, I have to think about the person I want to become. And I work today for something I'm not yet done, for a place I have not yet arrived. I'm always working and trying to think today for the place I want to arrive in the future. And those thoughts are beginning to shape me. And they will shape me into a person who's more likely to arrive at a future goal. (laughs) Sometimes those thoughts are based on what I call irrational optimism. 
I have no basis to know that they're going to happen, but they will def- things will definitely never happen if I'm not trying. And so I have to give up fear, fear of all things, fear that I have lost my mind and none of this makes sense, fear that no one will ever listen to the stories or the, the purposes of my heart. I have to set all those things aside because fear comes very naturally. And I have to believe that this is a truth that will help many. And I believe that without proof, which is where it's irrational and irrational optimism. But these are the habits. These are the thought patterns that will move me forward. So I challenge you, consider what thought patterns will move you forward. Who do you want to become? What, what, in what way has your identity shifted? And where will that new person take you? Where is that new identity going to take you? Our thoughts are very powerful. These small pieces of integrity add up moment by moment, day after day, and they become our truest legacy because they are things that only we know. And as they add up and they become our thoughts, that will become our words, that will become our actions. This is our legacy, the person that people will remember. But everything comes back to these tiny building blocks of thoughts. So consider the integrity of your thoughts and how they align with the person you want to become. Thank you for listening today to Adventures with Scars. I am so excited about the opportunity to lead this discussion around mental health and the healing process around cancer. We are defining the typical emotional response to cancer, and we are bringing change to the experience itself. 